first of all, it's like really important is like, you know, just don't never give up. You cannot give up because if you give up, then yeah, there's nothing else. I mean, like it's tough, definitely. But, you know, just to keep on trying, that's the best you can do. And you want to keep your spirit up as well. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science podcast, the only self-development podcast for data scientists. You're going to learn from and be inspired by the people, ideas, and conversations that'll encourage creativity and innovation in yourself so that you can do the same for others. I also host Open Office Hours. You can register to attend by going to bitly.com forward slash a-D-S-O-H. I look forward to seeing you all there. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. Our guest today is a highly experienced software engineer who has worked at companies such as Confluent, LinkedIn, and Ariba. Despite this outward success, he spent much of his life unmotivated and depressed, struggling with bouts of frustrations, conflicts with others, relationship and career failures. He felt so unhappy he was contemplating suicide. He's since taken on a journey of personal growth and development acquiring a brand new mindset and changing his relationship with himself and those around him. Most importantly, he's changed his relationship with happiness. And now he's made his life's goal to save others from years of suffering before living their dreams. He's chosen to dedicate his life to enable everyone to be happy and productive. So please help me in welcoming our guest today, founder and CEO of Human Prosperity Incorporated, Max Zhang. Max, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come onto the show today. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me, Habri. And that intro was amazing. Oh man, it's my pleasure, man. I'm really excited to dig into your background, talk about the work you've done as a data engineer, and then talk about this amazing transformation that you've had. Your story is super inspiring, and I'm really excited to get into it, man. So talk to us about your background. How did you get to where you are today in your career? So I started out as a technical support in one of the company in Florida. And from that company, after working for a few years or two, I kind of transitioned to doing QA stuff. And then the company got acquired after a few years by a company that's based in Atlanta called Pokery. And that's when I moved to Atlanta. And at the same time, I transitioned to a different role as well, uh, to doing technical analyst, which is that they're doing data integrations and things like that. So from there, the worked there for a couple of years. And then a few years later, it kind of got acquired again by another company. So it's like a big fish eating another fish, smaller fish. And uh, that's how I got to the Bay Area. So that company was Ariba. So they acquired a Pokori. And then I moved to the Bay Area, Sunnyvale. From there, 
eventually Ariba also got acquired again <laughs> by SAP, uh, but I didn't go to uh, Germany. I think Germany is the headquarter for SAP, but decided to go to a uh, different company instead. So I ended up going to LinkedIn and worked there for about four years before transitioning to my current company at Confluent. And uh, yeah, um, it's been great working at a startup. So that's what I wanted. And that's really exciting. Uh, at some point, I entered as a software engineer, but then uh, after a while, I kind of transitioned to a data engineer because I've been working as a software engineer for the past decade and was kind of like, okay, it's time to transition to something else, doing something else, doing something new. And uh, data engineering was an exciting new field. So I just want to get in there. And I had the opportunity to be the founding engineer for the team to build everything from the ground up. So there was an opportunity that was just right there in front of me. And so I just had to uh, take that. And uh, yeah, it's been really fun learning about data engineering from scratch and uh, to the way where I am right now. I was uh, at some point I got promoted to be a data engineering manager. And, but yeah, but now I'm back to an IT since we decided to dissolve the data engineering team. <laughs> so, and, uh, and of course, you know, at some point in about a month ago, I formed my new company, Human Prosperity, after, you know, all the struggle that I went through and uh, finally had a um, epiphany or some turning point where I just realized that, hey, I can do and provide much more value to society, the entire world, uh, by teaching what I have learned uh, in the past uh, year, year or two based on what I have for my life guide. And so, yeah, here I am. Right on, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and I'm really excited to get into the work that you're doing rather currently for human prosperity. But yeah, just a couple, of, I want to pick your brain a little bit since, you know, you said you had 10 years of experience working in software engineering. During that time, like, was data science something you heard of? Was data engineering something you heard of? Or is it something that's just become really hyped in the last mm -hmm. couple of years? Yeah, I think it's really just a really hype in the last couple of years. So, and be before then, like I didn't really, wasn't into, or I haven't heard much about it. But at the same time though, my, like, you know, I guess before a year ago or, or so, or even a few months ago, like my head was always in the ground. Like I didn't really care too much about anything because I was unmotivated about my life. Mm -hmm. Like I just mm -hmm. didn't care too much. And a lot of times I just kind of, you know, do what I need to do. Uh, and sometimes I do, you know, so while, even though I say that, but at the same time, I am, I am actually very passionate about software engineering. So I do actually do a really good job uh, in terms of my performance and things like that, as long as I'm happy. So when I'm not happy, then my productivity does go down a little bit. Thankfully, that didn't happen too often. So the overall, my performance is always, you know, above, above average. Yeah. So what is the key difference, since you've been on both sides of the field, what is the key difference between software engineering and data engineering? Yeah, I think it really depends on which spectrum of the data engineering that you want to look at from. So in terms of data engineering, there is a very wide spectrum, I think, uh, in terms of all the way from the left side, you have the infra, infrastructure that you actually build on top. And then from all the from infra, you kind of have the data integration engineer that kind of uh, integrate with different systems and writing scripts. And then on the very right side, you actually have, you know, a data warehouse engineer that focus on uh, building data models and things like that. So depending on where you are comparing to, then it's very different. So in terms of like the data infra engineer to a software engineer, there's almost no difference except that your domain is in data. So in terms of actually building software, uh, building software infrastructure for 
uh, the data domain. Uh, otherwise, like in terms of practice, in terms of what you do, writing code and things like that, it's essentially the same. So, and that's where I started out within data engineering, uh, since I'm already familiar with that field and I'm just kind of getting into a different domain. And sometimes I will get into data, uh, integration role where I actually, you know, work with different systems and kind of bring data in. So, and writing uh, some of the more complex scripts. And at the same time, you know, as an infra guy, I also build some of the framework in terms of how you can actually abstract the integration so that you don't have to repeat it, do the same thing over and over again. So, and that's, for me, that's the fun part of it. And of course, and on the real right side where you have to do the data modeling, I do some of that, but at the same time, it's not something that I like that much. So I definitely, you know, always try not to do it, uh, but I will do it if I have to do it. It's really interesting to hear that data engineering really is kind of a spectrum. There's so many different pieces involved. And I think a lot of times people who are breaking into the field just think that it's the ETL part, which I think is just that data warehousing part, but there's a lot of stuff that mm -hmm. happens behind the scenes. So for people out there who are maybe transitioning from software engineering into data engineering, and they're trying to make that kind of same leap, that same transition that you have, what advice would you share with them? Or what tips would you share with them? Yeah. It really depends on where they actually want to be, like in terms of like, do they actually want to work on the infra versus the data warehouse side? So on the infra side, I mean, you just hit the ground running and, you know, just kind of start reading about the data domain in terms of like what are the existing data infrastructures that's out there, such as like BigQuery uh, and Airflow and things like that. It's like, you know, once you get into know those systems, this basically makes up a lot of the infrastructure that you will be using. And then, you know, of course, you'll be building abstractions on top of that in terms of, you know, making sure that some of the integrations, uh, you can abstract building a library so that you can reuse some of the code. So that's one. And then, of course, aside from that, it's like, you know, you still have to do all the data, different kind of software engineering practices, you know, so testing your code and making sure that you have unit tests, integration tests, and things like that. So that's standard software engineering practice. And then, of course, like if you actually want to move towards more of the data warehouse side, where you actually build data model and things like that, then that's when you actually really have to push yourself a little bit and making sure that you do like data modeling. So if you really enjoy data modeling, building different models from relation, like ERD diagrams, relationship diagrams, and things like that, like, you know, definitely read some books in terms of like the dimensional modeling. So that is like, uh, that, that's, that is quite a lot of books out there about dimensional modeling, uh, that you can kind of learn how to build good models. Uh, there's another aspect of uh, data modeling. It's not quite dimensional, but it's more of a traditional data modeling technique. I forgot the name of it now, but yeah, it's more of a enterprise data model kind of way that so build by Bill Iman, yeah. So, yeah, in that one, yeah, it's kind of old, but and at the same time, like when I initially started, I thought like you know everything is going to be dimensional modeling, but it's actually not quite that way. It's not in black and white where you actually do enterprise versus dimensional modeling. It seems like it's a mix of the two. Uh, you just kind of have to right find the right balance that what works for your project. So for people out there who are maybe wanting to break into the data engineering and data domain from software engineering, but maybe they aren't sure how to get some hands-on experience, do you have any tips or ideas for projects that they can probably take on? 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of open source projects like Airflow. So I mean, like you just kind of get started and kind of look at uh, existing Airflow documentation. Uh, that's a great place to kind of get your hands wet to learn about how to write ETL code and things like that. And because it is very popular, so there's tons of examples out there and a lot of people posting like how did they do the ETL using Airflow and things like that. So yeah, just, you know, whatever problem you're trying to do, just Pack Airflow to on top, and then you will have a solution there. So it's a tough situation out there for a lot of people due, due to COVID. Do you have any tips that you can share or words of encouragement to share with people who are currently going through this job search in this really strange time in history? It's definitely very tough. I mean, like with so many people out of jobs right now and so many companies, you know, actually start, you know, reducing their headcount hiring and things like that so and uh, yeah so the, the number of people looking for jobs is there's so many in the millions while the number of jobs is decreasing all the time so it's definitely a very difficult situation so yeah to that end i i, I have written a guide on how you can actually you know cast a couple of tips that you can use to help you along the way so first of all it's like really important is like you know just don't never give up you cannot give up because if you give up, then yeah, there's nothing else. I mean, like it's tough, definitely, but you know, just to keep on trying, that's the best you can do. And you want to keep your spirit up as well. So, you know, don't just burn yourself out trying to look for a job in a couple of days and then give up like that. So just kind of pace yourself. It's going to be, you know, could be a potential to be a long ride. So, you know, just, you know, get some snacks, you know, make it fun to actually look for jobs as you, as you go so that you can actually go this in, you know, go as long as you need. And, yeah, you know, just keep doing that. And of course, you know, you, there's some things you want to do to make sure that you increase the odds of getting a job. And one way would be like, you know, uh, increasing the number of connections you have. So, and the connections, just keep on connecting. On LinkedIn, that's a great platform to connecting to people. Just keep on connecting, making relationships, because you never know, like, you know, your next job could be just one connection away. So make as many connections as you can. And, uh, and of course, you know, as you can also write some articles like, you know, showing your expertise. And that's how, you know, instead of interviews, if people actually see that you are awesome at doing what you do and sharing, you know, your expertise, they can, you know, well, reach out to you. So that's even better. And uh, yeah, so if you do get to a point where you get an interview, definitely brush up your interview skill. I see a lot of people, you know, doing interviews and they come unprepared because like companies will send out information about, hey, these are some of the specific modules that you will be interviewing on. And there are some, you know, some recommendations, but some of them, some people don't actually read it. Like, you know, we agree testing you on SQL, but then you come on the interview and it's like, Oh, I didn't know this is going to be testing SQL. I didn't, you know, brush up on that. And that's, that's not a very good thing. I mean, we told you specifically this is going to be like a testing your Python and your SQL skills. So it's really important that you brush up and making sure that you're fluent in those things. And yeah, because, you know, it's really hard to get an interview. So you don't want to waste that chance uh, once you do get one. So make sure that you brush up on your interview. Just do some interviews with the people that you know and making sure that you get it right uh, in terms of the actual process itself. And, and then, of course, in terms of actual technical skill, that's also important to brush up as well. So and there's many different sites that actually has mark questions that you can kind of test yourself out. And then, you know, just try it out, learning and making sure that you can actually write code fast so that, you know, people interview doesn't have to wait for you to think about what's the syntax for that and that. 
Uh, yeah, there's a couple of tips. There's more, you know, I can share my link if there's a way to do that. Yeah, definitely. I'll make sure to put that on the show notes. And speaking of networking and connecting on LinkedIn, like you recently had um, really increased your network on LinkedIn quite rapidly. Talk to us about how you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So based on my mission, like I, my goal is to connect to every single person in the entire world. So it's an ambitious goal because I want to make sure that I send a message to every single one of them because like, you know, sometimes if I don't, it could be too late. I mean, like, you know, if I don't actually put my message in front of them. So I want to be able to connect to every single one and then send their message. Hey, I, are you happy? Are you, uh, and are you living your dreams every single day? And if you're not, I can help you. So that's the reason I'm, I'm increasing my, my account. And obviously it's going to take forever and, you know, it's going to be very difficult to reach everyone on LinkedIn since, you know, not everyone's on LinkedIn yet. But yeah, in terms of increasing your, your account, you know, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. But the most effective that I found uh, is simply just connecting, like, you know, find someone that likes a post that's on your homepage. Just go through and just click on connect, 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 connect to every single one that's, you know, is interesting. And of course, you don't necessarily have to be focused depending on your goal. I mean, like, you know, you don't want to be focused on the quantity, but you also want to focus on quality as well. So if you do is specific, you know, people that's in your industry that you're looking for a job you're looking for, for example, like, you know, you definitely want to focus on that versus connecting to with everyone. And yeah, in terms of accounts, like, you know, last week I was at 4,000, this week I'm at 5,000. So because I'm connecting to hundreds of people every single day. So, yeah. yeah. It's awesome to see, man. Like, I'd, I'd love to get into your work now with uh, human prosperity. So you went through some personal ups and downs throughout your, your life, throughout your career. A lot of battles with yourself. But uh, talk to us about that. That's a, a lot of battles. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you a few significant ones um, in terms of uh, that. That's kind of made me the way that I am. So the first one, the most significant was like my motivation. Like, you know, when I was going to school uh, in high school, like I didn't have, wasn't motivated. And I was, you know, I didn't even want to go to college. I was like, what's the point? Why go to college? I, you know, I don't care about that. So, but thankfully I had a, a really good computer science teacher that told me like, hey, you should apply, you know? And so I applied for it and I got a full scholarship to uh, University of Central Florida. So I went there for a couple of years. Uh, and during that process, I switched my major so many different times. So I started out with computer science, and then I switched to electrical engineering, and switched to business administration, and then I switched to information technology. And then finally, I switched back to computer science because I just didn't, wasn't, you know, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, my heart was just not quite there. And then eventually I just stopped going, so. Yeah, and then just during that time, after that, I just kind of go went to different kind of job, job and there kind of just want to earn some, get some real world experience. I uh, thought that might be my help. That was also when I actually got my first girlfriend. So yeah, I wasn't really into relationship. Like during my entire life, like I was being uh, just by myself. So, uh, so it was kind of fun in some ways, um, but then um yeah and then i got into you know that job the computer the think of support job uh, that my brother referred me so that was the beginning of my professional career uh, you would say and uh, from there everything in terms of you know job and finance wise like it was pretty good like you know i was earning way more than you know what i expected so and which is good i had more money than i needed but yeah uh, after a couple of years like i don't know it's like 
it's like I just didn't quite know what's the point. Like you know, just go to work, come back home, go to the cold work, and then play some game afterward. So yeah, so I just kind of lost all motivation to, uh, to live. Like what? Why? What's the point? So I might. So I kind of that's when I kind of thought about like, okay, am I just you know end my life and just be done with it? Like. <laughs> Uh, thankfully, it was just you know just just a thought, and you know yeah, I didn't really do do anything uh, in that area. Uh, and then the next day, next in, in then uh, after a while, like my mom was asking me like, "Hey, do you that you're old enough? You should go get married and you have a job and things like that." So that's when I um, uh, went back to China and kind of you know kind of you know just. Just kind of meeting, you know, with family and things like that. Then, of course, when you go back to China and you know, there's marriage in discussion, and people are going to introduce you. So, yeah, that's how I got introduced to my wife, and then you know, got married. So everything was great for the first year or so, and you know, the honeymoon period. So it was an amazing experience. Uh, and at the same time, I married a really loving wife. So. But yeah, eventually things, you know,、uh, as you, as all marriage goes, you know, you get start having conflicts and arguments about various different things. And of course, you know, at work as well, I kind of transitioned to different companies during that process. And then there also, you know, come some conflicts within the people that I work with, especially yeah, when I was in Ariba. I mean, like there were some people that has like, as you know, software engineer, they have have a very strong opinion. On how they do things, and、uh, it's always hard to advise on what needs to be done. So yeah, there's always some arguments, and、uh, during that time, I was、uh, the technical lead、uh, within in, in the team. But still, though, you know, it was uh, uh, some. It's always a kind of argument there, having to, you know, to go with different approaches and things like that. So of course, I mean, technically, I win the battle because I was the technical lead. But then, of course, you know, this、uh, relationship that's broken down during that time.、Um, Yeah, after I left, like you know, one of the person there, I I just did not want to talk to at all, and everybody knew that we had like a really bad history, and like you know, and I'm pretty sure I would never speak to that person again. So, and、uh, yeah, at LinkedIn, I had a similar story. I mean, like initially, I was actually interviewed to be a manager there,、uh, and I passed the interview as a manager,、uh, but. Because I didn't really have a specific record that I was a manager in Ariba, so therefore I actually went into LinkedIn as a senior engineer first, just with the assumption that you know I will get to know the team, kind of start doing some of the management stuff, and then eventually I'll get promoted to a manager transition, not promoted because I was already in that process. But what's yeah, that like、uh, when you're when you're working in in organizations and like you yourself are like feeling that lack of motivation? Do you think that you're Colleagues, your coworkers are able to pick up on that, or was this like kind of outwardly, where you seemed like、mm-hmm. you're happy, seemed like you're motivated, but you're still、mm-hmm. conflicted inside? Like, what was that like?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was、uh, the latter that you just、yeah. described. So, I mean, like hour-wise, I mean, like I was fine. I mean, like I was happy. Everybody see me as like、um, the go-to person, the technical lead, and everything like that. They didn't really see me as unmotivated because I didn't really show that side of me to anyone. And、uh, yeah, sometimes when I'm home, that's when I'm like, you know, I just would take a nap. So whenever I feel sad or things like that, so because yeah, at work,、uh, as I mentioned, like I'm always known to be、uh, perform at above average. So、uh, everyone knows that I get shit done. So <laughs> yeah. So so、uh, how did how did this all culminate? Like you know, the, this kind of battle that you're doing with yourself. How was it from here that human prosperity started? Like what was like you mentioned. 
mm-hmm. part of what you want to do is you want to connect with everybody on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's the inspiration for the company? Like, how did this get started? Yeah. So yeah, it's just, yeah. So I mean, like at LinkedIn, I mean, there's you know, various other issues and things like that. And then when I went to Confluent, that's when I started to kind of think about, okay, I need to open myself up a little bit more. And, you know, that's also when I learned about compassion. And uh, so I tried to be compassionate to everyone. But then after a few months, I got crushed. Like I just, there's like so many suffering, so many feelings. And, and at the same time, I also had my own conflicts and that kind of made me withdraw, withdraw, withdraw myself back to the way I was, which is, you know, just doing anything by myself and didn't really want to reach out or open myself anymore. So that's when I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I lived 30 years of my life. And yet I still don't know how to, how to live a good life. I still don't know how to be happy. What the hell? So, uh, sorry, can I say that? <laughs> okay. And so therefore I just need to, um, so that's why when I started writing my life guide. So as a software engineer, I always version control myself. So I start writing a life guide and version control my life guide in GitHub. And every single day, I would kind of iterate on it, try to experiment different steps and how to be, you know, how to be happy and productive and live a great life. What's up, artists? We all know that cloud computing has changed the way we live, do business, and stay connected. With everyone using the same cloud platforms, winning and losing comes down to having the talent to build products better and faster. So whether you're an aspiring data scientist looking to build your skills or a seasoned veteran looking to level up, developing tech skills and being comfortable working in cloud environments has never been more important than it is right now. Cloud Academy has thousands of video courses, learning paths, and practical hands-on labs in real-world cloud environments designed to help you build critical cloud skills. They cover everything from major certifications to DevOps to security to programming languages. Cloud Academy is the cloud training platform of choice for Fortune 500 companies and thousands of tech professionals around the world. Don't just take my word for it. Check out the reviews on G2 and get started now at cloudacademy.com. Members of the Artist Loft can lock in 50% off the monthly price for life. Just put in the coupon code ARTIST when checking out. It's a great way to pursue certifications or just build your cloud expertise. Again, go to cloudacademy.com and use the coupon code ARTIST to lock in 50% off the monthly price. So what was it that kind of had this spark like that? It seems like you're like just woken up somehow all of a sudden, right? Something just woke up inside of you and now you've got this new perspective on everything. Was there a mm-hmm. particular moment or some, some thought or idea that you came across that, that then spun you into this really positive upward trend? There were a few, few, few places when where that happened. The first time is when I, about six months ago, I kind of realized that my step that I de- that step that I developed was missing something. Like it didn't would have uh, it wasn't able to enable me to be happy. So like I had the step right everything in terms of making sure I'm productive. But then like you know when I'm not happy, I'm not productive. That's when I kind of realized like okay, I'm missing like something critical there, and something distinct from productivity. 
So that's when I kind of started thinking about what that was and then figure out, okay, I need steps to be completely distinct steps to be happy. And so I was going to think about who can, who's the happiest people I know. And those are my kids. And they're like so happy all the time. So that's why I started modeling some steps based on my kids. And once I completed my happiness steps, that's when I was able to be happy every single day, which is a awesome thing. So I was happy and productive 100% every single day. But that was just me. Like other people was not, not quite so much. So, and of course, there's still some conflict with other people. So even I when I have conflicts, I'm happy, but they're not. So the question is like, okay, how do I resolve all the conflicts I have with people? Eventually, I also realized that, okay, I'm missing something else, uh, which are values. So it's really important that you have value that's embedded within your heart before you actually follow the steps. So the values will be, for example, like there are three values that are going to develop, which is truth, pleasure, and unity. And unity, that was the last piece of the puzzle that was missing. And that was what allowed me to finally see everything clearly in terms of how I can actually be maintain really good relationship with everyone. So the thing about that is like, you know, when you're having argument, if you focus on what's right and wrong, you know, if you're right, the other person is wrong. Uh, yeah, one person will win, the other person will lose, and you will win that battle, but then you kind of lose the war because you've broken the relationship. However, like if you put unity on the front in it as the value that you embed, then you not worry about right or wrong. You worry about, okay, unity. How do I make sure that I can have a good relationship with this person? while trying to do the right thing. And depending on the situation, sometimes it's okay to sacrifice being right. I mean, like, it's okay, you know, just to do the wrong thing if it's a minor thing, but then like, you know, yeah. But of course, uh, it's not just about, you know, giving up on the right thing to do. You can still figure out a right way to do something and maintain the unity. It's harder, however, it's worth it. So, and that's do when kind of everything pivots. Do you think there's a difference between being right and doing the right thing? Yeah, you definitely could be different. I mean, being right is, you know, just simply how you feel. Of course, doing the right thing is what you do. So you have to, you know, think that you're being right, but then, you know, you could be doing uh, the wrong thing. And even if you're doing the right thing, then, you know, you might not, you know, being right internally. So. What's up, artists? I would love to hear from you. Feel free to send me an email to theartistsofdatascience at gmail.com. Let me know what you love about the show. Let me know what you don't love about the show. And let me know what you would like to see in the future. I absolutely would love to hear from you. I've also got open office hours that I will be hosting. And you can register by going to bit.ly com forward slash a d s o h i look forward to hearing from you all and i look forward to seeing you in the office hours let's get back to the episode what were some of the steps that you had observed in your children that you implemented in your life to be to be happy yeah, so it's also four steps to be happy. And this is the one of the uh, key things in my guide. So within my guide, overall, you know, there's yeah, four steps to be productive and four steps to be happy and three values. Uh, and finally, the one mission that you have, which is, you know, the dream and things like that. So the happiness steps are the four steps are, you know, if you take the first letter, it's called slang, S-L-E-N. 
And the first step is S for sleep well. So it's like super important that you sleep really, really well every single night. Because like when you don't sleep well, you know, you become easily grumpy and everything else kind of falls apart. Your health, your mental health and everything. So when you sleep, like everything resets and you become happy after just immediately waking up. Like when you have a really, really good sleep, you wake up, you're already happy. So like that's a natural thing that your body does. And then the next step you have to do is you have to be able to let go of everything. So because if you actually let everything into your heart, they'll crush you and actually hold on to you. And then they will eventually make you immobilize you. And that's not a good thing because then you won't be able to figure out how to move forward if you are being crushed all, the whole time. So important to let things go first and then figure out what's the right thing to do to fix the issue. So you don't necessarily want to ignore things. You want to just let it go first and then figure out. So yeah, so letting go. And then the next step is enjoy the moment. So right now I'm talking to you. You're the most important thing in the world right now. There's nothing else matters. And you know, that's what kids do. Like when they're playing the toys, they're focused on the toy. They're not thinking about anything else. And that's how they actually enjoy that moment and enjoy their, their, their life and so and being able to be so happy being in that moment. So it's all about that moment. And then the last step is that you have to nurture your drives with positivity. You know, so often the people think about, you know, there's like so many negativity out there in terms of, hey, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. Oh, I hate you. And I don't like you. I don't like that. That look tastes yucky. Like when you do all those negativity, they actually drag you down. They actually reduce your drive to live. But you know, if you actually reverse it and to always focus on the positive and also encourage others, like, oh, good job, you know, good job. And, and I love you and all those thoughts of positivity. And that changes things so much. Now you actually have a drive to do more things. You have a drive to eat better food, yummy food. You have a drive to share with people, love people and help people. Like all those things, when once you actually start doing it, that engine, that drive that you have is going to become more and more stronger as you put more positivity in there, more encouragement in there. And that's what drives the entire happiness, you know, uh, in some ways. So, yeah. And this framework that you've developed here, was this kind of, they take a lot of thinking, they just spontaneously happen? Like, how did mm -hmm. you develop this framework? Oh, yeah, it took, uh, not definitely not spontaneous, definitely not. It took a lot of time. So like in terms of the entire guide, uh, it was almost two years ago when I started writing it and iterating every single day. So I mean, like that's how much effort it took to finish the guide completely. And I was surprised, like when I finished it, like, wow, it actually took almost two years to actually write a single guy only has four, you know, couple of different steps. The entire thing, you could print it on like two sheets of paper. And so, because, yeah, so it, yeah, in the terms of the happiness steps, uh, that was a little bit easier because, you know, I was able to model it against my kids. But even then, I was still, I still need to iterate a couple of times, especially that last step, the nurture your drive. Because that one's not very obvious. I mean, like when you look at kids, they do the first three pretty well. But then kids don't actually actively do the last one in terms of nurturing your drive with positivity. But you know, it's, it's just something they naturally do. Like, you know, when they see some toy or see candy, like they naturally gravitate towards things that make them happy. So, but as, as adults, we somehow lose that natural drive. So that's why it's really important that we nurture it by you know, proactively, explicitly do it ourselves. And once you start doing that, and then you will naturally wrap up and then, you know, it will naturally come back to you again. So for, for data scientists, we have to learn a lot, right? There's so much that we have to, to learn that it could get 
demotivating. It could get frustrating when you come across a topic that is very difficult and you're not able to pick it up on the first try. So would nurturing your drive kind of be like, all right, if I'm learning something right now and it's difficult, I don't get it. Instead of just saying, oh, this is hard, this sucks, I hate it, and then pushing it away, kind of just saying, okay, cool, this is an interesting challenge. I'm now having an opportunity to work on a tough problem. Not many mm-hmm. people get to work on problems like this. It's so exciting. Is that kind of what you mean by nurturing your yeah. drive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's one way to kind of nurture your drive and at the same time increase your motivation of doing things. But yeah, it's just simply by focusing on the positive aspect of it. Like the, if you actually say, I don't like this, I, I don't feel good, I don't, I hate it. And then what that, what that does is that you're actually generating a negative feeling inside your body and inside your brain. And that negative feeling gets attached to what you're trying to do. And when you have a negative thing attached to what you're trying to do, that means each time you try to do it, it automatically invokes that negative feeling again. So that's why it's like, next time you try to do it, it's like you automatically have that negative feeling attached to it and you don't want to do it anymore. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because it is like the, the, the emotions are their physical, mm-hmm. physiological responses, yeah. right? They're actually, they're not yeah. just in your head, they're biological processes that, and, mm-hmm. and your body can memorize those, right? When yeah, yeah, and that's uh, based on work from uh, B.J. Fogg, which is he has is a leading expert in behavioral uh, in in the human behavior. So he came up with a a couple of different principles in terms of the uh, behavior design. So and in there, like you know, he has he came up with something called tiny habit, which allows you to create change something whatever you want to do into a habit. And the way it works is based on that this same principle by attaching a positive feeling towards what you are trying to accomplish. So like, you know, in that step, like it has uh, the tiny habit is only for three different steps. Like, you know, it has A, B, C, uh, A for anchor uh, to what you're trying to, for something that you really do. So you anchor on top of it. B for is the behavior you want to do. So for example, if you want to exercise, you know, then you can, that's the behavior you do. And then C, that's where the celebration step, where you actually celebrate what you just have done. So if you take one step to exercise, then celebrate, say, yay, I did it. And I generate that exciting feeling like, yay, 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 good job. Uh, you awesome. Like create that positive feeling, attach it to the to the, the one step that you did and then keep on repeating a couple of times. It naturally becomes a habit. Your brain wires itself. And now each time you take it one step, the brain automatically generates that positive feeling, something you want to do naturally. And that's how it turns into a habit where you just would do it. Uh, and now you love it. And, you know, you'll keep doing it. So... Can you share your framework for productivity with us? Mm, sure. So for productivity, it's also it starts with ABC, ABC, but it's a little different uh, acronym. So to be productive, you need to do ABCD. And A is for activating your mind, uh, your body, passion, and mind. So, and that's really important. Like, you know, if you don't activate in terms of no, like, you know, pushing yourself in terms of your body, what you can do and pushing your mind on what, what, by learning new things, then, you know, you're stuck. So it's, it's really important that you kind of always be continually have a mindset of growth mindset to learn and new things to push your body on in terms of how much you can do in terms of exercise. Uh, and then of course you have to have your passion as well. And that's what drives a lot of the work that you do. And the thing is, like a lot of people don't believe they can actually become a genius, or they can actually they don't believe they can memorize it, you know, or everything in the entire world and things like that. Uh, there are always a limited beliefs. 
So it's like if you want to remember everything in the entire world, it's possible, uh, partly or not like quite everything, I guess, but pretty much anything you want, you know, anything you need to, to do your job and things like that. So, and that's just a matter of using techniques. So, and you know, you mentioned, you know, Jim Quick, that he has a lot of memory techniques. And if you learn, learn those techniques, uh, you know, you can memorize anything instantly. So anyway, I'm sure we can talk about that in a little bit too, maybe. Yeah. Once you close your mind to the possibility that it can be achieved, then there's mm-hmm. no way it's going to happen, right? You have to keep that open, yeah. open mind, that open right. perspective right. that it could, it could happen. But yeah, yeah sorry, go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then be for, be mindful with acceptance. So like whenever you're actually doing work, you really have to be mindful of what you're trying to do. So right now, if you're doing coding, like like really focus on just doing coding. Uh, and it's not like if you're actually you know, talking to someone with, uh, you know, your coworkers, be mindful of what's going on, your emotions. And at the same time, like if things things, things go wrong, like if they actually yell at you or something like that, you know, it's why they're doing a bad thing, but accept that, you know, accept those things, it's okay. Uh, and then you, know, you can actually figure out, you know, then doing the next steps. Because you don't want to want those things to affect you. And at the same time, being mindful, that means you're aware of all the information that's out there. You want to get as much information as possible because information, that's how you can make these decisions. If you have 10% of information, you make you know 10% of good decisions. But if you have 100% of the, all the information, that means you're able to make the best decision uh, possible. So being mindful, being able to actually know what's, the, what's your emotional state, what's your mental state, and what's your physical state, uh, those will allow you to know what you can do and how, how well is your, are you able to perform, how well you can perform. So, and then next step is C for concentrating on one thing at a time. So while like a lot of people try to do multiple things and, and think their brain can do it, but it's scientifically proven that your brain cannot do multiple things at the same time. It can only do one thing. And each time it switch from one thing to the next, it's expensive. So, so that's why like, uh, especially for a software engineer, when you're doing critical thinking, critical, all this stuff where you're designing stuff and where you actually fully immersed in writing your code, like you don't want to break that flow. So it's, it's kind of really good. It's really important to just completely concentrate on one thing and finish it and then work on the next one. So of course, sometimes in the work is very hectic. So you cannot always, you know, just finish one entire project before you work on the next one. So, and I say you can definitely do multiple projects throughout, just make sure that you minimize the number of switching. So if you can only work on one project at a time, great. If you need to do two projects, fine, do the two projects, but make sure that you switch at the specific points um, when it makes sense uh, to avoid as much contact switching as possible. And and when you're fully focused, fully able to concentrate, that's when you can really maximize your brain power in terms of what you can do and at the same time what you can learn and how you can improve. If you can keep on switching all the time, like your brain cannot learn as as, as much. It cannot actually perform at the maximum actually. So so why you yeah, so when you multitask, why you think you're doing performing faster, but you actually not. You actually <laughs> you're just doing a lot more, a lot of uh, excessive waste of breath, contact switching, and the overall quality drops. And at the same time, the speed at which you complete your task is also drops as well. So, and then the last step is really important is do the right thing. So, you know, it's, if you do not do the right things, you know, sometimes you just, sometimes, sometimes you cannot undo them. Like, you know, if you actually do wrong thing by, you know, hitting someone or killing someone, bam, your life is gone. Like, you know, those things you cannot 
recover. And you know, something you can kind of learn and uh, and move on, which is good. But still, uh, that is the time wasted. So it's really important just to do the right thing from the start. Uh, and that applies to software development or data engineering work and things like that. So when you have a data project, make sure that you are actually working on the solid foundation. Don't just build everything as fast as writing some script and then throw it out and be done with it because you you have to maintain that code. So you copy and paste and duplicate a bunch of code everywhere. And that's the wrong thing, obviously. And you know, while you know it might be sounds like it's faster to not having to spend time abstracting in the first place, but then you know you do that a couple of times, and then you have a mess that you cannot maintain anymore. So that's why it's really important to actually do the right thing by abstracting, you know, what you need to, from the get go, and then from there you build on top. And the thing is, next time you do it, you're gonna take less time. And next time you do it, take less time. So, and the thing is, you're also building against a really solid foundation in terms of how you actually build scalable software. And that's the mindset you want to do when you're actually doing data engineering or software engineering. You always want to be thinking about you know, how to build this in a scalable way instead of just hacks there, hacks it there, hacks there. Because you get in the habit of writing hacky code. It's going to be hard for you to write solid code in the future. So you don't want to make that sacrifice. You don't want to train your brain to write hacky code. You want to train your brain to write solid code. And whenever you can, spend the time to build the right infrastructure at the bottom and then build on top. So yeah, and sometimes, yeah, you will have to make that sacrifice. Uh, that's okay. You know, sometimes it's okay to make that sacrifice and just get, get, it, get, it, get it out. Uh, but then remember to come back to it and kind of fix it later as well. So, and uh, a lot of people kind of, in terms of testing, they always kind of like throw it out, like I'm not gonna do the test, it's just get things out and things like that. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's just some example of, you know, why do the right thing is the correct approach. And you know, it's just, in the, in, in, when you do the wrong things, while it might seem like you're doing, you have a gain on the short term, which is true, sometimes you do have a gain in the short term, but on the long term, you lose in terms of your skill set in terms of yourself and in terms of the actual output, in terms of the impact you have for for everything. And obviously, if you're doing not having the right impact, that means you're not gonna get the right promotions. You're not gonna get your pro career promotion, things like that. So it's that's why it's super important, especially when you're starting out your career, focus on doing the right thing, learning the right techniques and not just tech. Thank you very much for that. It's very, very insightful. I know the audience is gonna love hearing that. So question for about the concentration part or you know like sometimes we're working on something and then we might get a compulsion to go let me go check instagram let me go check linkedin mm -hmm. let me go check my email let me go check this random thought that came into my head let me just do something other than what the hell is in front of me how do we fight that urge what can we do to stay focused when these selfish impulses pop up into our head so that kind of goes back to a behavior design by BJ Fogg. So uh, in that book, Tiny Habits, I highly recommend everybody buy that book and read it. Like that's going to be the best, one of the best books you can buy and help you to help yourself develop your thinking in terms of behavior. So there's a second formula in that book, which is called the B equal to map. So this one essentially is the formula for behavior. So any behavior that you do, uh, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you look at me, the way we are doing everything, Everything you do essentially breaks down into this formula that he had developed. And what that means is B for the behavior is equal to motivation, M for motivation, A for ability, and P for prompt. So for example, like right now, the, that we are doing this podcast right now, 
it breaks down to those three things as well. Behavior app is we're doing this podcast. Motivation, you know, there is a motivation because I want to share uh, what I have learned with the world as much as possible. And you have a motivation because, you know, it helps your listeners as well. So there's the motivation. So that's why we're doing this. And then there's ability because there's a Zoom. So, and uh, we can do this. However, if there's no Zoom and there's no way for you to contact me in some way, ability is gone and you're not going to do it. We won't, it won't happen. And then, of course, you know, the last one is prompt. So, and the prompt will be like the calendar invite. So, and the message you send me. If you didn't send me the reminder or you, you or I didn't have that calendar invite, that's no prompt. I'm not, it's not going to happen. I mean, I will forget about it. So, so that's why the, everything you do is matched to that simple formula. It's super powerful. And using this formula, this is how you can change your behavior as well. So, for example, like, you know, all the different distractions you have, if you just use that formula, you can easily remove them. So in terms of motivation, you check your LinkedIn, you check your Facebook because like, oh yeah, you know, something that feel, makes you feel good, something from a friend, things like that. So there is motivation. So you can kind of remove that, that motivation by probably, you know, kind of, I guess, force yourself to think, okay, if I do it, then, you know, it's going to cost me uh, my job or something like that or something else. So you can kind of reduce your your motivation by reasoning, by thinking about what's the consequences and things like that, uh, or simply just attaching a negative feeling to it. So like each time you touch your phone, slap your wrist. Like, <laughs> so attach negative or pain to it, and then your motivation kind of decreases. So, but it's, yeah, it's sometimes hard to kind of remove all the motivation. Uh, and of course, sometimes people do that is because they're depressed. Like, you know, if they're depressed, that's why they actually do those things. So the proper way of addressing that maybe is like you want to make sure that you're happy all the time, following the happiness steps, so that then you don't have a you don't have a motivation to use those as a way to make you happy. So, so that's motivation. And then ability, like your phone is always there. Now, put your phone in another room. Put your phone, lock it in some kind of some, somewhere. And or give it to your 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 your, uh, your spouse or someone to hide it. And now you have no ability to reach your phone, and bam, you're not gonna be checking your, your devices anymore. Uh, and of course, there's the prompt. So the thing is, like, whenever there's a message that comes through, there's always a prompt. Ding, ding, buzz, buzz. Like you know, that's the prompt. that's like, oh yeah, I need to check it. Someone's you know sending me stuff. I want to look at it. Now, just remove the prompt by simply, you know, changing it so that it doesn't make a sound or removing the banner so that you don't actually, you know, see the message coming up at all. Uh, and or and simply just put your phone face down so that you actually don't even see it, don't hear it. And yeah, without a prompt, it's not going to happen. So speaking of motivation, um, let's talk about the other motivation, I guess the motivation to to to, to do something good. Sometimes we lose motivation. It, and I know it happens to me sometimes. Um, what are some tips that you could share with us to hack our motivation so that we can keep that momentum moving us in a positive direction? Yeah. So for that one, we have to understand, you know, what motivation is, and it kind of translates to a couple of different things. Like that's two major things that you know that's really key. And one is what that is in a physiological level, which is actually dopamine being released within your brain whenever you actually feel that motivation. And dopamine is what makes you feel good, that joy is the feeling that you get. And that's what motivates a lot of people. If it feels good, I'm gonna do it again. So so yeah, to actually to actually get that dopamine released, 
uh, these are very different ways. Uh, but in terms of hacking it, like in you, one way would be like making sure there's a reward at the end of it. So you know that's why like at a job you get motivated because you have a paycheck. You know, and or have a bonus and things like that. So if you're trying to complete a project and you just keep on procrastinating, then put a reward at the end. Like if you complete this project, go on a vacation. I think you'll be very motivated to get that done as soon as possible, so that you can go on that vacation. So, so yeah, that's one way to kind of hack that. And of course, you know, another way is really about like um, um, nurturing a drive. Uh, because drive is one that kind of motivate, you know, naturally drives you to do things. And in terms of making sure that you can actually want to do that project that you don't really like, is by loving it. So, like, really, really try to love that project you do. Like, instead of like the negative feeling you have, kind of replace it with the love. Like, oh, I love learning about this. I love doing this project. And the more you replace negative feeling with positive ones, then you attach positive emotions to it. And that motive, well, that will increase your motivation to complete that project. So, talk to us a bit about imposter syndrome. What is it, and how can we fight it? Yeah, according to research, isn't like you know everyone in their lifetime feel feel that imposter syndrome at one point or another. And yeah, and and what that is is that you feel like you don't deserve. What what you have gotten, like your know, your job position or the salary that you're earning, uh, you think you are fake, and you know, and it's a matter of time before people find out that you are fake and you will get fired and things like that. So, and when you kind of look down into look into it a little more, and like you know, it really stems from you know a couple of key things in terms of your mentality. It's the fear. So the first thing is the fear. You fear you have a fear of being found out. You have a fear of failure. Uh, you and that fear uh, is what you know kind of holds you back, and at the same time, you know, triggers this entire sim- kind of syndrome. And then, second thing is self doubt. You're doubting yourself. You don't believe you you deserve. You don't believe your ability. You don't believe you can do what needs to be done for your job. So those two those are the two key things that actually kind of manifest uh, itself as imposter syndrome. So now to resolve it, we need to tackle those two two things. So in terms of self doubt, we need to tackle with that with self love. So simply just like completely, well, not self love. Actually, believe. Actually, for doubt, you what you want to do is actually you want to tackle that with belief. Like really believe in yourself uh, and apply yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean like there's not much you can go around that, but simply just you know it's a mental exercise that you had to go through and simply just like. I believe myself. I can do it. And every morning you wake up, is you can tell yourself like, "I'm the best. I can. I, I'm gonna get this done." And things like that. So, and then apply yourself. You know, apply, making sure that you actually uh, do follow through. You know, don't just believe in yourself, but then don't follow through. And you know, if you don't follow through to actually do the, what's necessary to get things done. Then obviously, you know, that won't be good. Uh, and that will actually make you feel more doubt. So, uh, and then the second aspect of it is the fear. Like, in how do you get over your fear of failure or fear of the people finding out? And the best way to that is self love. So I say, love yourself completely. Don't be afraid to, to fail. Don't be afraid to, to be, to be found out. So just love your fear and your failure completely. Uh, because, you know, otherwise this is holding you back. 
your fear is just holding you back. It's a, it's a chain that's holding you and not letting you take intelligent risk. So, and you want to be able to fully be yourself completely by simply loving yourself, removing those fears. And then in terms of the failure, like a lot of people still have a lot of bad connotation, negative connotation attached to failure. And that's the wrong way of seeing it. Because when you actually really look at it, a failure is simply something you don't know for now. And then once you do go through it and figure out what you don't know, um, you have learned something. It's a lesson in disguise. So is so you actually want to be thankful for it, like you know, because that is each time you fail, it's an opportunity for you to learn something and improve yourself, so that you're stronger and better, so that next time you can actually do much better and have a higher rate of success. So that's why, like, you just need to completely love your fears, love your even your flaws as well. You know, not quite this topic, but even your flaws, like you know, and then followed by loving your failures, and when you completely love yourself. Then you know all this low self esteem, low self esteem, low self low self confidence. All those kind of will naturally go away. Uh, and at the same time, you will start loving and taking intelligent risk because you don't actually afraid to be failing. So you are actually you won't have to be you know you actually be motivated to do uh, anything you want, everything you want. So and of course, when you believe in yourself, then you can actually really apply by learning, keep on learning uh, more things uh, and applying more things like in terms of like learning new skills, learning techniques to actually really improve yourself. And when you believe that you can actually, you know, memorize everything or believe you can be a genius or believe that you can be get that promotion and things like that, like that manifests its power within your mind. Uh, because belief is super powerful. It does miracles. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, believe in the negative and that's what you get. You know, if you believe in the negative part of it, then you get negative. Yeah. I think it's important for people to understand that they don't have to be victim to their own thought process and their own faulty belief system that you can at any point in time choose to think different thoughts. Like you can actually choose what you want to think. Mm-hmm. You might have initial impressions, but that doesn't stop you from automatically kicking off a habit loop to flip it around and be something positive, right? Mm-hmm. And you can actually update your belief system to serve yourself in a more positive way, right? You can go through life and think, oh man, I can never get better at anything. It's just genetics. Nothing's ever going to change for me. I can't do it. It's not really a, a good self-serving belief system to have. Why not choose something more empowering? Why not choose a belief system that is going to set you up to want to go do hard things so they can get better at them right mm-hmm. yeah so question here about memory so how does memory work and can you share a tip for how we could memorize things mm-hmm. yeah so like, uh, it's really important that we understand two key aspects of memory and how it works and one is that memory works based on association so it's always associated to something that you already know already and if you try to remember something that without associating something you already know it's going to be very hard. Uh, it will take a long time. But yeah, eventually you could do it. But yeah, you see, if you associate with something you already know, like for example, if you already know what Apple is, and now you actually bought a Apple computer, and you can kind of easily associate the two based on the fact that, you know, both in the sound, it has an Apple, the word Apple. And therefore, you know, you can easily remember what an Apple computer is. So, I mean, that's based on association. But of course, if you don't know what an Apple is, and now you actually think about an Apple computer, it's like, you know, it's a little bit more free and it takes a while for you to kind of memorize what the heck is an Apple computer. 
So that's association. The second aspect of memory is that it's based on like visual memory is so much better than you know text or some other things like oh you know other other kind of memory, because like you know long time ago we didn't have speech, we didn't have written language. You know the the entire human history were revolved based on simply what you see. And that's how you can remember stories, remember what's going on. So based on evolution, you know your memory, your visual memory has evolved to be super good, and it is still it is today. So it is sixty thousand times faster than you know your processing text. So, and so therefore you can leverage based on those two key things, you can kind of leverage them to memorize anything you want. So a a really good. Um, common technique is called a low-key technique, which is based on locations, uh, and you can associate something to a, a location. So location is something you already know. You have to find something that you're already familiar with. For example, your body. You already know your body parts, so you can easily associate something to your body. So now I'm gonna kind of teach you uh, how to memorize the top ten brain foods. So you kind of have to, you know, imagine like on top of your head. Uh, you can imagine. Yeah, so in terms of like your head, imagine it's actually made of an egg. So like brain, the, the, the egg is a one of the brain, top brain foods. So imagine your head is an egg and now you think that's it. You instantly memorize, you know, the first top brain food uh, by associating the egg with your head. Now, if you crack your head open, the egg open, imagine there's a walnut in there, uh, which is, it looks like your brain. So that's why it's in there. And now you have memorized the walnut as, you know, the second one. And then followed by your ears, like imagine coconut oil coming out. So that's the third brain food. And then, you know, imagine blueberry coming out of your nose. Uh, you know, it's very memorizable. And broccoli, everybody hates broccoli. So like coming out of your mouth, you got spitting out like, yeah, it's so yucky. So, and then imagine leafy green vegetables around your neck. So it has a necklace. And uh, for your fingers, imagine they are turmerics. Uh, so that, you know, they look like turmerics and they kind of look kind of weird. So, and then of course you can have like chocolate coming out of your butt, you know, uh, you know, very memorable. And then um, finally you have like fish, you know, you have fish, fish, like your in of shoes. Imagine you're wearing fish on your feet and it's like, oh, that's like stinky, smelly. And finally imagine, you know, water coming out of your body, your sweat and things like that. So, so now that's it. You have just memorize, you know, 10, 10, 10 brain foods. Uh, and tomorrow you can still remember it. And for, for many days to come, you'll still remember it just like that. So you seem to have adopted a growth mindset for yourself. How did you come across this concept? And in what way has it had the biggest positive change or biggest positive impact in your life? I think it's when after I kind of completed my life guide, that's when I actually started to like really focus on growth and really push myself. Because before then, I was kind of sad. And when I'm sad, I just don't really want to do anything. So, and at the same time, you know, I find myself to be exhausted. So after I was able to address the happiness part, and then I gain unlimited energy inside of me in terms of what I can do. And I, I am always be able to hit 100% productivity as well because of that. And now that I have 100% productivity, then I have like, you know, I can work all day or all, all night, no problems. Uh, and based on that, I can actually start doing a lot of things like, you know, the reading the book that I didn't want to read before, I am able to read now and, and other things that I don't do. And once you start that learning process in terms of reading books, 
like it opens door to so many different things. You will learn so many things, and um, and once you start learning, and if eventually you will learn about like all these different techniques you can use to maximize your productivity or maximize you know anything else that you're trying to do, such as speed reading, you know, or you know memory techniques, uh, and of course empowerment techniques and meditation and other things. Like there's so many things because human history, we have been here for so long. There's like so. Much content out there that help you live a great life, and to get to them, you have to read them. You have to go out and get them. You know, you cannot just wait until someone spoon feed you, and uh, and that's you know that that's going to be yeah, not very efficient. So the key thing is you have to be happy. For me, it was to be happiness first. Like I have to be completely happy uh, based on my happiness steps, which you know uh, trains your happy maximize your happiness intelligence. So I, I kind of want to make a note of that. Like you know, a lot of people don't really quite know the difference between like happy happiness versus happy intelligence, especially happy intelligence. And that's a new term that was defined by Song Yang from Germany. She's a psychologist. And uh, and so happiness intelligence, as she defined it, is the ability to be happy. So, and that's really important. That means that's it. To be happy is a skill. It's a choice now. It's not something that you have to. That's something that you cannot change. It's something you can actually learn using using different techniques, such as my four happiness steps. If you do those, you increase your maximize your happiness intelligence. That means you can be happy、uh, whenever you want. Like you know, some kind of bad thing can happen. Yes, you will kind of bring it down. You know, bring it down, but then you'll quickly bounce back up. So you can be happy again just as, as quick, and then you know it's really up to. In some ways, it becomes a choice. Like, do you want to stay? To be sad, like you know, if something really bad happened, like you know, someone died in your family, you don't want to be happy, you know, instantly.、Uh, you can stay sad because it is a sad event, and you want to stay. You know, it's okay to be sad.、Um, but yeah, after a while, then you, if you, when when you're done, then you know, switch back, so you can actually be happy again. So you can hit the ground running and do what you need to do to you know、uh, get other get things, you know, get things rolling. So for me, like that's、uh, like happiness intelligence, and then of course you know this happy. You know, happy like that's actually for me. It's like that's a joyous feeling, kind of feeling, kind of goes come and go when you eat ice cream or you watch a movie. So like you know, that's most people think that's happy,、um, but it's not quite true happiness. So true happiness is what I call the happiness, which is、uh, that like warm feeling you feel for the people that you love. You know, it, it lasts forever. It it doesn't go away that easily. You know. And doesn't matter where you are or when when it is, you know, it's always going to be there. So that is true happiness right there. And yeah, the ability to be happy, the happiness intention allows you to be, you know, have both. So even though it says ability to be happy, kind of it includes both. I love it, man. And I love the soundtrack we have of kids in the background. I think that adds to the happiness touch right now. I think that's that's really great touch.、Mm -hmm. So last formal question here before we jump into a lightning round. And that is, what's the one thing you want people to learn from your story? Two things to that we kind of talk about is to believe in and apply yourself. So, and or if you do that, then anything is possible. So, there's nothing you cannot do if you believe in and apply yourself、uh, every single day. The second thing is love yourself completely, because、uh, that will make sure that you don't have anything holding you back. So. Loving yourself completely is to remove any shackle from you. Believe in and apply yourself is what you can actually use to push for yourself forward. So, and once you have this, nothing holding you back, then you can run at full throttle. I love it, man. It's beautiful. So let's jump into a quick lightning round here. 
If you could meet any historical figure, who would it be, and what would you ask them?、Uh, Albert Einstein. So, and I would ask him, like, you know, what's the pivotal point where, like, you know, he, where he kind of changed from someone with autism and some, I think, I think some level of autism and some, you know, some degree of disability in terms of learning, and from there, you know, at some point he pivoted into the way he is today. Uh, and yeah, to actually know that truth or know the, what the experience, what what was what was like, I think it would be very valuable.、Uh, if I had to guess, I believe he believed in and applied himself. Yeah, it's very interesting because people just assume that Einstein was just born some great genius and he just knew physics from the day he was born.、Mm-hmm. But they don't understand his actual journey. Like you know, first of all, he was he wasn't that great of a student, but he just had. A great deep interest in this field, in in this work, and、yeah. he was kind of blessed with the opportunity to work as a patent clerk that allowed him to have free time to really pursue、mm-hmm. and think about these things, right? And、yeah. it's just persistence, and even even when people are like, "Nah, you're not gonna make it," you, you just quit. He said, "No, I like this shit. I love this. I'm gonna continue to study it."、Um, I think that's that's 100, man. Like, just、mm-hmm. apply yourself, be persistent. Mm-hmm. Believe in yourself. Yeah, and there's a famous quote from Albert Einstein,、uh, and it is, "I have no special、uh, ability. The I said no. I have no special talent. The only talent I have is curiosity." It's lovely, man. I love that. What do you believe that other people think is crazy?、Uh, my mission. My mission to. Uh, ensure the prosperity of humanity by enabling everyone to be happy and productive. So that's a mission that I truly believe in. And unfortunately, many people think it's crazy. If you could have a billboard anywhere, what would you put on it, and why?、Mm, the moon, so that you can you can see it. Everyone in the world can see it、uh, every single day. And yeah, just. Love yourself. I would say, if you had to put, choose one thing, it's just to love yourself completely. What are you curious about right now? I have a lot of things that I'm curious about, but at the same time, like when I'm curious about things, I always figure out and find out and solve that curiosity. So I don't have a strong curiosity right now.、Uh, however, I am reading about happiness, a book called Happiness by. Ed Diner right now. So Ed Diner is the was leading expert in terms of psychology for happiness. So he has written and done a lot of research in that area. So right now I'm reading his book, Happiness, and there's a lot of good content in there. So I'm looking forward to reading about that. Have you read Search Inside Yourself by Chatterjee Tang?、Mm-hmm. Yep. That's really、yeah. good. I think you'd really enjoy that as well because he's also a software、mm-hmm. engineer and similar <laughs> mission to yours as well. Mm-hmm. So, what is an academic topic outside of data science that you think every data scientist should spend some time studying? Soft skills. So, I mean, the all the different soft skills is really important for you for、uh, you know anyone to kind of、uh, advance in their career because like you don't work alone. Your you know the technical aspect is really important, but then like all the soft skills is what makes you become a leader, and it is the way you can grow in your career. What would be the number one book, fiction, nonfiction, or maybe one of both, if you want, that you would recommend our audience read, and what was your biggest takeaway from it? 
selfishly or plugging myself, I would say my guide, my double guide, <laughs> my you know the, the double happiness and productivity guide, you know a double that guide. So because that contains pretty much a categorized, summarized information about everything that's out there that I know of, uh, and it it links to every single book out there that is what I have read so far and very useful. Now, if I have to pick a single book that's actually published, I would uh, go with Limitless by Jim Quick. So because that book also has a lot of different ideas in terms of you know increasing your motivation and um, making sure that you empower yourself and things like that. So. And remove all your limits because you know you have a lot of limit limited belief that kind of holds you back. And at the same time, it kind of opens the door in terms of like what is possible in terms of your abilities and things like that. So, and that is really important uh, for you to kind of know as a solid foundation before you learn anything else. So that's one book that you should everyone should read. Yeah, Limitless is an amazing book. I definitely think that is foundational book. If you're gonna go buy a new book. Go get that one first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think it's on sale for two ninety nine. I'm not sure if you still on, still on, <laughs> yeah. on in the Kindle edition. So definitely get it. <laughs> so where can people find your book again? Is it free? Is it how can they get their hands on it? So go go to http colon slash slash double dot guide. Okay. If we could somehow get a magic telephone that allowed you to contact eighteen year old Max, what would you tell him? I guess the same message: love yourself. <laughs> um, because yeah, well, maybe not. Okay, because I was very motivated, demotivated during that time. So I think I would go for believe in apply yourself instead, because I want to make sure that I, um, I I can be motivated to do stuff. What song do you currently have on repeat? Unfortunately, I don't have a song on repeat. I do listen to uh, trance music, vocal trance music, and uh, I don't know they they just sound good. I don't have a specific one per se, but yeah, there's one I guess you know that uh, quite, quite, don't quite remember the name exactly, but uh, it's like do you like to fish or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, the lyrics is not kind of weird, but it's just the just the the sound of it. That's what I really like, and that's what's put me in the mood in terms of my coding and things like that. I'll have to check that one out. Do you like to fish? So, how can people connect with you? Where can they find you online? I'm available on LinkedIn all the time, and uh, and if you actually Google search me, Max Zhang, uh, you will see that I'll, I'm the first one uh, on the top uh, because I do go Google myself sometimes. And uh, yeah, just you know, and of course, I also have a shortcut link to introduce myself, which is maxzhang.info. And then finally, like if you want to check out my all my guides, all my guides in terms of how to live your life, be happy, productive, and live your dreams every single day, and, and my services, you know, go to http colon slash hp dot tools. Max, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come onto the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Really enjoyed all the wisdom you're sharing with our audience and hearing about your story. Thank you so much. Yeah, good to, to be here. Thank you for having me.